With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. It's just gone 20 past 11 on Thursday night. Andy Mitten and I are cuddled up in the press box at Old Trafford, looking out over a pretty empty stadium, to be fair. The groundsmen have gone home. Um, I think the guys who were picking up the litter have gone home as well, Andy, but we are still here reveling in Manchester United's famous victory over Ammonia Nicosia, aren't we? You've built that up really strongly, haven't you? Looking over the beautiful pitch, which is going to have five home games in 18 days, and there's still some markings on it from the rugby final, which was played here. Really good crowd here tonight, including the 4,500 Ammonia Nicosia fans who were very vocal. And Manchester United won the game, but that's not the talking point. I'm sure we're going to cover different areas. Yeah, there's lots to get through, of course. We'll have a reaction to the match tonight, but we also want to preview the game against Newcastle, which kicks off an important week for United. We'll talk about yet more takeover talk as well. Plus, the fiasco continues over the tickets for the Chelsea away match as well. We've got an update on that. Uh, but I'm delighted to say that smiling back at me on my screen, sat at home because he couldn't be bothered coming, <laughs> Laurie Whitwell's also on the podcast. Hello, Laurie. Hi, guys. How are you doing? hope it's not too cold out there. Why are you not here, mate? Well, I've got lots on, you know, and I know I'm going to sound like a big-time Charlie here, but United at home. Too to, busy hanging to out with Gary Neville. That's what he's going to say, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Did you like it? It's got quite a few views that, you know, on YouTube. It's all about you, I'm sure, mate. I saved my best stuff for here, though. I should hope so as well, absolutely. <laughs> well, as you might have guessed, Laurie wasn't here covering the game and neither was Carl Anker. Uh, he's not on the podcast either. But we do have Dan Sheldon, who is the football news reporter in Manchester for The Athletic. And Andy and I caught up with him to react to the match that he's covering for The Athletic tonight, just a short time ago. So, Dan, thank you for making your Talk of the Devils debut. Um, how old are you? I'm 27. 27. How long have you been a journalist for? Since I was 22, so five years. Five years. And how long have you lived in Manchester for? Since July. So that's uh, a few months. Yeah. How many, how many months since July, Andy? I'm also 27. Yeah, you look uh, it, yeah. <laughs> cheers, mate. But basically, what I'm getting at is you waited all that time to cover your first match at Old Trafford, covering Manchester United to see Scott McTominay become the first substitute in Manchester United's European competition history to score a winner in the 90th minute since Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in the 1999 Champions League final. You must be absolutely buzzing. Well, I feel like I'm here for the birth of Eric Ten Hag time. So, you know, it was, it was good. I mean, it was a really interesting match from United's perspective. They, they probed. They probed. Was it? Yeah, I thought it was. You know, I thought, you know, they had so many shots, but the goalkeeper was inspired and... Yeah, McTominay, after being booed about two minutes before that shot for, for skying one over, he, you know, he found the back of the net, so it was good. 
What do you think, Andy? I found it a hard watch at times. It was, but there's lots to talk about. There's there there is, yeah, about. yeah, true. The Manchester United supporting goalkeeper who had the, the match of his life, yeah. uh, having broken into the team and stood there saying, it. my dad also supports Manchester United and obviously United are hugely popular in Nigeria. I, I think it was a frustrating night to watch it. Relief at the end. To United's credit, the team never gave up. I thought Casemiro was probably United's best player. 34 shots. Ridiculous that none of them were going in. The finishing has got to be better. We can talk about as many individuals as you like. Uh, shame that Sheriff didn't help us out with uh, a win against Real Sociedad, but that's to be expected. And Manchester United have got to go to San Sebastian and get a win, which is difficult, but I, I actually think it's, it is possible. And... I think it would be important if Manchester United can do that to avoid a couple more games in the Europa League. I think we should definitely mention the Ammonia fans, four and a half thousand of them. A lot of them, wasn't there? Yeah, brilliant. Well, Manchester has a big Cypriot community and that goes back to 1974 when the, the island was divided. And a lot travelled, it's a long way, as we saw last week, five hours by plane. I mean, if you're going to go by boat, it's even longer. I mean, try and walk it, mate. Well, you can't, unless you can walk over water, mate. Some yeah. can, I've heard. <laughs> can't say not. One man. They were loud, and they got louder as their team resisted Manchester United's multiple attempts. United's finishing really should have been better. Marcus Rashford had 10 shots, and I actually thought he played all right. I thought he was confident. One of his shots was that bad that the referee thought it was a corner because he hit the, I think it was about six yards wide when he was clean through. It was that far wide that it must have took a deflection. I don't think it did. He wasn't the only one, mate. Absolutely not, by the way. Bruno had some absolute howlers. I thought he was... Maybe the most creative player in the first half, dropped right off in the second half and was frustrating. Scott McTominay's effort before he scored. You know them four new towers in Manchester, the massive ones? It bounced off the top of one of them and they're too It woke Carl Anker up, didn't it? Yeah, it woke Carl up on his, <laughs> in his 32nd floor where he can't get Wi-Fi, where the postman doesn't deliver things to him. Dan, it... it can we talk about their goalkeeper just for a moment? Francis Azozo, Azoho, he came in to the press conference. I've not actually seen that uh, at a match before for an opposing player to come in and he had a smile as wide as the press conference room. Uh, a United fan, admittedly, Neil Lennon said that he's not shut up about playing United for weeks. What a dream it must be for him. Oh, it was an amazing night for him. I think even in the, the press conference just now, he was talking about it being the best night of his life and normally you're used to goalkeepers if you concede in the, you know, after making all those saves and then you concede in the final second, they're not going to describe it as the best night of their life but it just meant so much to him and on the way out of the press conference room he posed for a picture with Eric Ten Hag so we'll have that as a nice memory and I think I saw a tweet in 2017 he put a picture up of David De Gea and it was like I'm coming for you my idol and then there was a picture of them after tonight so like you, you can't make that stuff up for, for some players and it was just really good to see him at the final whistle he went down on the floor and Neil Lennon was straight over to console him you know, he can certainly leave with his head held up high tonight. That's it. And to concede in stoppage time when you've made 11 saves, um, being a United fan against United here at Old Trafford, no matter which way you look at it, it was pretty special for him. And Neil Lennon actually said after the match that this result, if they'd got a draw, would have been up there with beating Barcelona with Celtic, which is a huge statement, isn't it? And shows just how close they came. He said it would have been the biggest result in their history to get a draw here. I mean, United should really be dispatching teams like this pretty easily, shouldn't they? I think they were 45-1 to one on to win this game. 
Yes, they should. But this is why we love football. <laughs> Not everything goes to plan. I thought Neil Lennon spoke very well after the game. And he said that he'd been here a few times. He said he never thought he would come here as a manager. Interesting that. I'd never not really thought about that. Yeah. yeah. He's just sort of put a limit on his own ambition and thought, <laughs> I'm never going to be good enough to come here. And he said, I've had a few, I think the word was chasings. I wonder what the Cypriot word for chasings is. I was thinking about the translator, like... The press officer was sat next to him, like, yeah. going, hmm. Yeah, I had a few dealings with that press officer before the game. I was promised an interview with one of our players. I wish now... In hindsight, have you offered out a Cypriot press officer tonight? I'm not offered anyone out, but I, uh, I wish I would have known that their goalkeeper was a Manchester United fan, because that would have been a good story. So when United played in uh, Astana a couple of years ago, I got a little tip off that their Icelandic midfielder was a former fisherman who loved Man United, and it made for a good interview. On this occasion, I spoke to one of the Ammonia players, who's from Moston in Manchester, Last week, I had a lovely 10-minute chat with him. He said, I'm going to give you a ring on Sunday and we'll do a nice big interview. And uh, maybe my phone battery had died because I didn't get a phone call. That's only happened two or three times in my entire journalist career. Seriously. You know, really? oh, I think... If, if Brandon Barker we're talking about, yeah, I presume. Yeah, we are, yeah. And I had a good chat with him and it, it's just odd because I think if you say you're going to do something, then you should do it. And he didn't do it and that's a frustration because I could have interviewed several of their different players. But it was nice afterwards to find out that the goalkeeper was a United fan and just to see his expression and just to admit, you know, yeah, it was the best game of my life with his manager <laughs> next to him. When he's lost one nil and let one in in stoppage time. Yeah. And, he, and he wasn't even the first choice goalkeeper. And Lennon was like, I'm, I'm, I've got to be honest, I'm gutted. I'm gutted because 92nd minute... Absolutely. Um, subs are a thing as well, Andy, aren't they? Seven of United's last eight goals have been scored by players off the bench. Now, Eric Ten Hag was asked about that in the press conference. He said he was happy about it and it showed a good spirit in the squad. What do you think? I agree with him and it's not just the goal scorers. The example he gave um, was Raphael Varane coming on against Everton and preventing Jordan Pickford from scoring. I thought that was good. So it, it it points to a greater togetherness. It points to good team spirit. I think there's a pattern now starting to develop with Ten Hag's teams. They've not drawn a match yet. So there's 12 matches, won eight and lost four. Don't think United deserve to win all of those eights. United have ridden the luck in several of those games, but he's getting wins. That's the most important thing for a, for a new manager. And he does turn to his subs and they do make an impact. He also... Drops players if they're not playing well and brings on substitutes. So I think Luke Shaw lost his place in the team, came on as a sub at Everton and, and did well. And today I thought um, when he came on, he did well. So I, I, I like the way he uses substitutions. I think there were times when Ole Gunnar Solskjaer left it too late to bring on subs. That frustrated a lot of fans. So I think Ten Hag's in-game management is uh, positive because... This is still a team in transition. There's still loads of improvement individually, collectively as well. And he's getting wins. If he can get wins while the team is still sort of finding its feet and players are finding their feet, including the new signings. And Anthony's probably the most notable one there. He's got to add a lot of variation to his game. That's another thing you said in the press conference, what I found was, was quite interesting. He's not holding back on Anthony, is he? We shouldn't hold back on him. He cost a huge amount of money. He scored in the three league games, which hasn't been done before for a new player. I think that Jaden Sancho has not played as well as Anthony, but Anthony's still got to do a lot more. Variation was a key word I felt that Ten Hag used on Anthony. He's got to do things differently. 
he's not just got to be a one-trick pony. There were times tonight where he'd do a brilliant ball and other times where... One-trick Tony. One-trick Tony, I like that, mate. You should be a journalist. And there were other times where moves broke down because he put a really poor ball into, in, into the box. You've written about it, Dan, this week. Manchester United fans will have seen it on The Athletic. The signs that this team is becoming more of an Eric Ten Hag team, it feeds into what Andy's just been saying as well. Are you encouraged by what you've seen then? Does tonight, despite the fact that the end product wasn't quite there, there were still signs that there was creation, changing the way that the team was playing, but making the changes, feels like a Ten Hag signature already as well. Yeah, I think the signs were there tonight, but then on the, in the same breath, I don't think it should take Man United and that 11 that he put out 95 minutes to kill off this team. You know, strong 11 as well, wasn't it? It was a really strong 11. You know, they've run themselves into the ground tonight to beat a team they should be beating 4-0, 5-0 at a canter, to be honest, if we're being brutally honest about the quality of Ammonia Bart, the goalkeeper. So I think that is a bit of a concern, having watched them, you know, there's a lot of games in October, nine games um, this month alone which is the most, the highest number of single games. I think they've only done it 11 times in the Premier League. They've never played more than nine, but this month is nine. So yeah, it's a lot of games they could do with having, not having two more in February. So getting the win was important, but the signs are there. It will take time. And you can kind of see, I saw it at Southampton with Ralph to kind of cover the club I used to cover. He stuck with the same 11 a lot, simply because it takes time to get his message across. And if you're chopping and changing the team all the time, those players don't learn it. So I can see why Ten Hag would do it, but at the same time, it's a lot of games and that 11 shouldn't take 95 minutes to, to beat this team. What were the aspects that you saw then in the Everton game that made you think that this was more of a Ten Hag team? I like the turnovers in the final third. They had nine turnovers in the final third against Everton, which is more than any other uh, game they had this season. So that was impressive. They were passing more, but they were probing more, prodding more, you know, more direct. They were quick with it. They weren't just recycling possession. There was, they had possession with purpose, especially in the first half. You know, they were carving Everton open. That I thought was really impressive, but it was mainly the pressing. You know, nine turnovers I thought was good. The chances they were created was good. They were a bit more solid defensively than their, their lowest expected goals against of the season against Everton. So that was better, but there's still only a handful of games into to him taking over so it's still going to take time before we see the full effect of what he wants them to do yeah absolutely if you want to read more about Dan's thoughts on this Manchester United team becoming more and more in Eric Ten Hag's image you can read his piece on The Athletic now Dan I'm going to let you go because you've got to go and write a piece about tonight haven't you what are you going to write about a Zoho maybe <laughs> I wish I could write 800 words about him that would be easy no it'll be about you know just the the fact that, well, basically what I've just said, that it shouldn't take them 95 minutes to beat this team and they're going to run themselves into the ground if they're not careful. Thank you, Dan. Thanks for coming on, mate. No worries. Thank you. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. 
Yeah, neat little uh, debut that for Dan, wasn't it, to be fair? Um, Laurie, don't get too jealous because there's one area that we didn't cover with Dan that we want to do with you because you're still very important to us, of course. You tweeted after the match the scenario for United in the Europa League. Just remind United fans about the doomsday scenario of finishing second in this group. Yeah, well, it looks... Does it look an inevitability? I, mean, I suppose United can go to no uh, La Real and, and win. Inevitable. United can go there and win. Okay, okay. It's hard, but you can do it. So, okay, it's, it's, it's a possibility. It's a strong possibility, should we say that? Because Real Sociedad have looked look good in this group, haven't they? Um, another comfortable win tonight for them over Sharif. Um, but yeah, if they finish second in the group United, then it means that they go into the playoff for the knockout stage of the Europa League, which is where they come into contact with the teams that finished third in the Champions League. Um, so it also means two extra games, which in a calendar that's already congested, which they have to put two postponed matches into the Leeds and Crystal Palace games. It just adds, a, I suppose, a layer of complexity to it. Um, but yeah, I mean, the teams that are third in uh, the Champions League groups at the moment include Barcelona, uh, include Ajax, include Juventus, Atletico Madrid, Sporting Lisbon. So it's a bit of a who's who. Um you know, I think even Juventus, if I've not mentioned them, um, AC Milan, a bit of a who's who of, of European football. So it, it could even shape out that the Europa League is is kind of like the the competition where you know these historically great teams are. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think it just maybe it makes things exciting. You know, often we've had to wait for the really uh, interesting fixtures to come along in the Europa League, um, but this would actually bring them about in sort of a couple of game weeks in February. Yeah, just to put it into context, United have qualified now, haven't they, for the knockout stages with that result tonight. Real Sociedad, they'll beat Sheriff 3-0. They're in a much stronger position in the group, having won at Old Trafford, of course. They go to Ammonia next. And Neil Lennon, Andy, was saying that they were a minute or two away from their greatest result in their history tonight by getting a 0-0 draw. Well, they can do it against Sociedad, can't they? That would be a good result, 0-0. It would be a, a great result, given that Real Sociedad have won all four of their group games and kept clean sheets in three of those (laughs) group games. What about the league form? Any hope there? Um, I think Real Sociedad had a six unbeaten across the board. Uh, They're not the best Basque team, (laughs) if you want me to. Athletic uh, club uh, are above them in the league. Real Sociedad are are very well organised. We saw that at Old Trafford. They do not have players to the same technical level as Manchester United. They've got a really good manager. It's a club in a good place. They've redone the stadium. The ground's going to be full probably for the first time ever when Manchester United visit. Thankfully, they've increased the ticket allocation for Manchester United fans because they were being a bit um, 10 men initially and trying to be a bit tight with the ticket allocation. Uh, but it's a big game, but United will will not be favourites. But I, I compare it a little bit to Villarreal away last year when Michael Carrick was in charge. Very difficult to go to. Manchester United have got a really poor record in Spain. But I fancy United. I do. I think United will, will win the game. And, and as Laurie said, it, it, it will be significant if United do it. And the other point about the competition is... There's a lot of really strong teams. It's going to be a very hard competition to win this. It is, isn't it? Because there's the Giants, and I was at Barcelona against Inter last night. Incredible game of football. Barcelona are going to be difficult to play against. And Sevilla, who've dominated this competition by a mile more than anybody else, they're going to drop into it as well from the Champions League. So it's it, there, are, there are stronger teams in this, stronger clubs. If you think Barca and Man United are two of the three biggest clubs in the world and they're both in the Europa League, neither 
are built to be playing Europa League football. They're both built to be reaching the latter end of the Champions League season after season. This is a new reality. Yeah, it is. I love how we're building up the Europa League, considering we've committed our lives to spending Thursday nights here at Old Trafford watching the team in this competition. And we might be spending yet more time if they finish second in this group. Let's move it on then, because before we consider the idea of United finishing first or second in this group, there's a really important week ahead in the Premier League, Laurie, isn't there? I mean, Newcastle at the weekend... It's probably the strongest Newcastle team that's come to Old Trafford in a couple of decades, isn't it? Yeah, they're looking good and they've done a bit of a media blitz this week, haven't they? Dan Ashworth's been speaking. Um, they've been opening their doors to the press pack up there and talking about their ambition and they've got a good mode about them, really. The way they've um, you know, used... They haven't spent wildly, I don't think. I mean, Isaac for £60 million was was a lot of money, clearly, but he's a young player that you think, OK, that could actually look like good value in time. Um, so they've, they've got a sort of sensible approach, I think. It's not kind of blindly spending you know, the Saudi Arabian money um, at will. But, um, yeah, in terms of the way that Eddie Howe's got them set up, um, they clearly know their roles. They've got a good... Uh, sort of understanding, I think, between the players as to what he wants. And they've got a bit of depth, you know, for the first time, maybe. I mean, uh, Alan St. Maximum started on the bench against Brentford. You know, they won that game 5-1. Almiron came to the fore. And I do think that the way Newcastle play incisive counter-attacking football, that's kind of been United's kryptonite over the last few years. And you could wonder, you know, if they're not at it organisational-wise, you know, United could be in for a bit of a turbulent afternoon. Newcastle have only lost one game so far in the league this season. They've drawn five matches. Manchester United have not drawn a single match yet, not in league or cup. And I think that's that's pretty significant. I think the two games between Manchester United and Newcastle United last year were really interesting. And I know that Newcastle United are in a far stronger place. The one at Old Trafford, Ronaldo mania. Manchester United. Oh yeah, w- w- yeah. W- 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 the scoreline was comfortable, but but the game wasn't. No, that's right. It was in the balance until Ronaldo scored his second, wasn't it? Yeah. And then the second game at St James's Park, after which uh, I discovered that Laurie likes um, cocktails, mm. which cost twenty-seven quid. Is that where it all started? That, that's where it started. Mate. Oh really? Yeah, in in the shadow of St James's <laughs> Park, that's where the of all the glamorous locations you two have drank as well, and it was there. I know. Oh, and and Laurie mentioned the media blitz at Newcastle this week. Within that, one of their leading executives was boasting that they had like 56 pubs within half a mile of the ground. And we <laughs> Sounds were, all right, doesn't we, it? We were in one of them because it was a year since their takeover. But that game there, that was that was a, a, a really bad result for Manchester United. I think Newcastle had won one of their first 19 matches at the time. And now they've clearly progressed. They've signed pretty well. Isaac came from Real Sociedad, by the way. Guimarães was a fantastic player at Lyon. I'm amazed another club didn't didn't get him first. And there's that huge support up there. They'll be they'll be coming uh, here with a terrible record and with some confidence mm. for the first time. You said 20 years, but it's back to them Keegan side, really, isn't it? When, yeah. When 25 years. When when they had they had really good teams, but I can remember coming here in the 80s and their support was incredible that was when away fans could pay in and just over to our right there that was the scoreboard section and they'll have different pens each holding like a thousand each so like Norwich or Wimbledon would fill one pen Manchester City Everton Liverpool they'd fill four or five pens on a couple of occasions Newcastle United seven pens just really? like honestly Fine. brilliant away support so a bit like I, a money tonight, to be fair. I don't think I've seen that many 
fans at a European match here at Old Trafford, away fans, amazing. Yeah, it was good, 4,500. The record was actually Real Sociedad and Athletic Club. They brought 6,000 each. I try to work up a theory that the best away fans in Europe wear green. Because I think right. the best ones in recent years were St Etienne. Celtic. And Celtic are always good when they come. And yeah. they, were, they were really good tonight. And um, I stopped working up that theory because I had to write about the game. But I'm sure people <laughs> might say, yeah, but what about that team who wore green? Yeah, there'll be a, su- a few there will suggestions, be someone. won't there? Yeah, yeah, I'm sure, to be fair. OK, remember, if you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, you can do so now for just £1 a month for the first six months. You get full access to all our great writing on Manchester United, the Premier League, European football and much more, of course, as well. That's £1 a month for the first six months. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, well, we spoke about on the last podcast the issue with the tickets for the Chelsea match in a couple of weeks, Andy. Now they've sorted out a kickoff time. There still seems to be an argument over the exact allocation. What's the update? Well, the latest news is that Must are taking legal action to try and reinstate a full allocation. Might be a little bit late in the day to do that. but Nine days away, isn't it? They've published a very detailed letter and... I say more power to the elbow for doing that. I think that football fans have got to stand up. I was uh, struck by the number of opposing fans who said today this is the right thing to do. Liverpool fans, Tottenham fans, Newcastle fans, you've got to stand up. The, The decision never stood up to reduce Manchester United's allocation for the reasons which we discussed in the previous podcast. There's no reason why Manchester United shouldn't have the full allocation down there and the decision wasn't properly explained and too often football fans who actually go to football matches um, are at the bottom of the list of priorities so I know Laurie's, Laurie's covered the story as well in depth in, in The Athletic and we probably have similar views on this What have the club said about it Laurie? Well the club have been disappointed haven't they I think they're you know, behind the scenes, I think they're probably pretty pissed off that they've had this reduced allocation. It, it feels like United have kind of been singled out for this treatment. I know it's a, a sort of um, London-wide um, approach now that the Met are taking that these you know high-risk games can't kick off after 4.45pm, which, by the way, I'm still waiting on a response from the Met as to why this rule has been implemented and when it came into pass, um, because it seems like a fairly new thing. Um, and is there evidence behind it? Because that's what I felt the letter from Must really did explain, or, or the letter 
sent on behalf of Musk, you know, by the legal team um, to Hammersmith and uh, Fulham Council um, because it, it, it had the previous matches at Stamford Bridge, the number of fans that were attended, the kickoff times, and then the number of arrests or rejections. And it, it's small fry. It's, it's not, there's no evidence there that I can see that would say that match, therefore, in future needs to be, you know, a high risk match with with many more police officers, or else, you know, the, the allocation has to be reduced. So, it, you know, we're still waiting really for a full explanation because it seems very arbitrary at the moment. And I think that's what the club are feeling like. The club, I think, did a a good strategy as good as they could have done in the circumstances where you know they had to cut 624 fans I know that must are trying to get it reinstated but you know, the likelihood is that they'll have to have this reduced allocation uh, on October 22nd um, the club basically said that you'd have to get your ticket in person with, with an ID on the day um, and clearly people sort of swap tickets around don't they so I think they sort of thought well if people can't really you know go through the hardship of that then they can at least swap it to another um, game they've got four different away games that they could swap it to or they could just cancel it if circumstances have changed and, and they go no actually I'll, I'll opt out and get a full refund that was an option and in the end they managed to get 624 fans that were open to that so the the, the away end is now sorted in that regard um, which I think is a, a small blessing but I do think that the point that Andy makes is a, a lasting one that you know it feels like a creeping authorization of if that's the right word um, you know football where you know the police, I don't think, really should be arbitrarily putting these uh, measures in place. I think, you know, it should be... Dropping some words here, Laurie, mate. I, I don't know if that one's a real word, you know, so I, I'm probably going to get people pulling me up. But it, it feels like they're sort of yielding their... Wielding, not yielding, their authority in a way that I don't That's think should one. be... Yielding and wielding, <laughs> sure. ...that should be used. So, you know, I'm glad that must have pushed back in this way. Yeah, of course, keep your eyes peeled to The Athletic for any updates on this. We've just got enough time because... Um, the security guards are looking at us we are literally the only people left in Old Trafford again um, to talk about I say an update on a potential takeover it's not really an update on a potential takeover it's more a development isn't it on the whole sort of noise around Sir Jim Radcliffe's interest in buying Manchester United and I think we can definitely call it that now based on these uh, updated quotes from him Laurie, you've been fully across this. You, you sat on the Financial Times live feed of uh, Sir Jim Ratcliffe speaking the other day, didn't you? I did indeed, yeah. And uh, I sort of sat through quite a lot of stuff that I didn't really understand uh, because a lot of it was about Ineos, you know, his company, um, <laughs> various different global um, issues that are at play, uh, you know, different economic um, levers that were, were being discussed. Um, but no, eventually it came on to the... losing you. <laughs> Eventually, it came onto the Man United issue, um, which I think was really what a lot of people had subscribed for. I think it actually, some people couldn't get on because it had, I think, oversubscribed. Wow. But anyway, the, the point of it was that it was asked, uh, you know, what what his opinion was of Manchester United. Could he take over? You know, was he interested in making a bid? And he laughed and kind of dodged the question a little bit, but eventually he said. He'd met Joel and Avram. They are the nicest people. I have to say, proper gentlemen. They don't want to sell it, um, which at least. You know, you could read that a few ways. I've spoken to people that know much more about this than I do, who think that that was just him saying the price is too high um, and sort of, you know, buttering them up maybe to, you know, keep conversations going over the course of, you know, however many months or, or even years it might be. But I also came away from it feeling like, you know, that's kind of, you know, a line in the sand, really. Um, I mean, he did 
make the distinction between Joel and Avram and the rest of the siblings. So I think we've discussed that before on the podcast where Joel and Avram are the two that, you know, ultimately make the decision. Yeah. But he also said, we can't sit around hoping one day Manchester United will become available um, and said that he'd basically focus on Nice. That you was know, the, the killer line, wasn't French it, really? that he's got. Yeah. You know, he's, he's obviously a man that has you know, made lots of moves in his career. He spoke about his career in this chat with the Financial Times. Really interesting, the gambles that I suppose he had to take. So he's saying there, well, listen, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm 65 into my late 60s and you know I'm in Monaco I've got a nice life I, you know I don't want to be you know waiting around trying to you know really persuade or or, or force the arm of the Glazers if, if they're not willing to have this kind of dialogue which it seems to be what he's saying um, then you'll look elsewhere I think I'll be banned from Ineos after failing to recognise their most famous cyclist in the Tour de France in the summer. <laughs> I remember this story, yeah. yeah the Tour de France winning one. I did go to Nice, the club that he owned, and to interview Morgan Schneiderlin for the Athletic. I was really impressed by what he'd done there, actually. Sta- stadium was all done, just the club philosophy. Uh, but the main point on this one, it depends, I think, whether you're, you're half full and, or half empty. I've never been given any indication that the Glazers want to sell there's there's fracture lines you know between the family Um, it's not just one person who says we want this for Manchester United because the club is owned by the siblings I think there's a little bit of bait thrown by uh, Jim Ratcliffe to Manchester United fans where he said the club are not firing on all cylinders and Mm. you can just see millions of Manchester United fans going go on do something about it go on go on (laughs) but he doesn't own the train set no. So so he can't. Uh, I think his description of the Glazers raised eyebrows among a lot of Manchester United fans, but then they've never met them. And if they don't want to sell, then it's it's the impasse that, that we've had since uh, 2005. He's been hugely successful to get to where he is. You don't get to, to his level by being absolutely cutting and hard in business whether he's got a great strategy and people are discussing that only he knows that but uh, I think that some United fans will see him saying you know if it's not going to be Manchester United then it's going to be somebody else and they'll go oh no you know that's Mm. like you're not going to sign a star striker he's going to go somewhere else so yeah it feels like a missed opportunity doesn't it in that sense right we're getting the finger again from the security guard so we better call it a day don't forget you can subscribe to the athletic for just one pound a month for the first six months go to the athletic.com forward slash man united pod but andy sat next to me here in old trafford thank you laurie at home thank you as well us three will be reunited after the newcastle game for the next podcast let's hope we've got another famous victory to reflect on good old scott mctominay see you on the next one bye bye Athletic.